This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our fifth episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me at Home Bodies Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. My practice this week has been interesting. Uh, My son Hudson, who's almost two, is taking a napping hiatus. Uh, So, you know, I... Listen, I love the guy. Like he is so much fun and it's really starting to feel like when I hang out with him, it's like hanging out with a person like, and I like him as a person. Like I really enjoy his company, but by 1 PM, I need a break. And so not only is that when I do my yoga practice, but I just need a break. So it's been really challenging that he's not napping. And actually it was reminding me of episode four when Imbal talked about how in the yogic philosophy, uh, meditation is not you don't say you're meditating, what you're actually doing is preparing uh, for meditation to spontaneously occur. So you prepare the body through asana, you um, do breath work, you focus the mind, and then, you know, through all of that, meditation happens, right? It's not that you're forcing meditation. And it's the same with Hudson, right? I, we play outside, we have a good lunch, we come upstairs, I, you know, get his blankie, I, read him some books, we turn on the sound machine, and I can set up all of the criteria for him to nap, but I can't force his eyes closed. Like I'm completely powerless in actually making him go to sleep. Um, And and it's so interesting because actually this has been coming up so much because the same thing happened, uh, the same thing happened, has been happening in my asana practice where I try to really, like a more difficult pose than I've been doing. I, um, Mostly, you know, because of my, I've kind of had this maintenance yoga kick where I'm just doing poses I know and love and um, that I've done a million times and I sort of know their effect and, and I know I like them. But I took a Sarah Strother's class uh, on Sunday and she had one legged crow, which <laughs> has always been a challenging pose for me. Like it's never been easy. Um, but I was like, okay, like whatever, let's give this a shot. So, you know, she's very good about really preparing. So we opened the shoulders and we did the arm work and the core work and the leg work. And, you know, throughout the class, they were sort of woven in different parts of the pose without actually being the pose. And then it comes to the time, you know, nap time, meditation time comes the time to do the pose. And I could not do it. Um, I did it, I think for like one second on one side. Pro tip, if you're having a really hard time with arm balances, it's much easier if it's skin to skin. So try wearing shorts, which I did change halfway through the class to see if I could get into it. Um, I One second, but blink. I did get into it for one second, but blink and you would have missed it. Um, but, you know, that didn't make uh, the class any less fulfilling for me. Um and, and actually it made it sort of more interesting because it was this new way of move that a uh, new way I haven't moved my body in a long time. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's true about naps, but I've definitely been feeling the same with meditation. Um, you know, I talked a little bit last week about how I was feeling sad and anxious and I was using these tools of meditation and yoga to an asana to feel better. And I, I think, you know, it's definitely been working for me. Like it works for me. Um, And I think 
more specifically, what meditation has been doing is uh, giving um, dimensions to my sadness and uh, anxiety. So uh, I can, it, it gives this sense of clarity because what meditation does for me is put me in the, ch- the observer chair so I can look at things as they are because I think there are two things that happen with anxiety and um, sadness where they, you can either kind of brush them under the rug so that you pretend that they don't exist at all and then that causes trouble or they you, you see them so big that you can't you can't possibly imagine feeling any other way and what meditation is for me is helps me to see them as they are like the size they are like the exact dimensions they are so that you know they're not bigger or smaller than 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 I, than my um than I sometimes perceive them um and I think what the and what that does, and I'm not sure how this is, but somehow that is what kind of prepares me to feel better. Because once I can see exactly where anxiety and sadness are, I have this ability to allow in other things, right? So, you know, sadly, this isn't like a sitcom where I'm like, okay, last week I was sad and anxious and this week I'm all better. We have a different issue. Like, of, of course, those things are still there, but I now have this ability to allow other things to spontaneously occur, like happiness and peace. Um, and I think partly is the clarity of seeing those two things and, and also um, the ability to observe, you know, to observe my body in asana or observe my mind and my breath in meditation helps me to observe other things and, and you know, even kind of encourage them to flourish. Um, like I've been feeling like a real sense of like lovingness to my immediate family and my close friends, which, um, is wonderful. And, and I think maybe if I hadn't been meditating and, um, doing asana, I, I wouldn't be able to see those little roots sprouting and I wouldn't be able to kind of water them. Sorry, I'm not a gardener. That probably makes no sense. Those little, not roots, those little, I don't know, what are they called? Green wings sprouting of other things. Um, yeah, so not able to do one-legged crow. I'm sorry. I hope I can still be your podcast host, but am feeling better, which I would argue is more important. <laughs> um, it's funny. We were ta- I've been talking about one-legged crow in more difficult poses because today we have on the show Valerie Starr, who, um, of all of the people I know, and you know, I, I've kind of been in the yoga scene a while uh, of, of all of the people I know, she is the most committed to asana practice of anyone I've ever met. And it, you can just see it on her and feel it on her. She's just got, you know, and I think committed or dedicated sometimes gives this sense of like a hardness or a, I don't know, like a, like a, a less lack of joy for it, but she just is committed because she loves it so much. Um, like she loves, just loves asana, loves yoga. So her classes are always so great because it's so infectious, her love of the practice. Also, she makes amazing playlists, which you should know. <laughs> um, yeah, we, so Valerie and I used to lead retreats together and I hope we will again someday soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's one of the best people I've ever worked with, best coworker for sure. And, and I think you can really t- see our, um, love of each other in this interview, which I hope, hope makes you feel good. Hope it makes you warm inside. Um, and 
yeah, uh, so here is Valerie. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Of course. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, I live in Portland right now, Portland, Oregon. I was born in the Bay Area. I grew up in like Cupertino, Santa Clara area. And um, previous to living in Portland, I was in San Francisco for 12 years. Um, maybe longer, I don't know, but that's where we met. And um, yeah, loved it there. And um, I started practicing, um, I think, practicing yoga in high school. Um, I had I had these VHS tapes that Rodney Yee did. Like there was an AM tape and a PM tape. And before I kind of even understood what yoga was, I, I started doing his tapes and um, uh, really uh, started looking for it in other ways too, like an actual class. So um, in high school, I started taking yoga classes at the community center and um, and I got into it there and, and then had a huge separation from it for many, many years. Um, and then it was traveling through Southeast Asia um, in Bali. Uh, I took a yoga class and like knew in that second or like knew in that class that teaching yoga was something that I wanted to pursue. And so came back from traveling and just dove 100% into learning how to teach. And, and first, I just took as many classes as I could um, at Laughing Lotus and um, was searching for teacher training. And uh, I ended up doing a teacher training through Purusha first, which is in San Francisco. Um, and really loved what I learned from that and uh, started teaching right away. <clears throat> like after my 200 hour ended, like I started teaching and uh, it was really hard. It's hard to go from like being a practitioner, thinking that things are one way and then turning the corner and being on the other side and teaching it's like not the same right like it's not the same mm -hmm. um so i started teaching and knew i needed a little bit more support so i i did the 200 hour at laughing lotus there in san francisco simultaneously while teaching and that that seemed to work but yeah i think that was 12 years ago i'm teaching 12 years now Wow. Insane. Okay. I have so many questions about that, but the first one okay. is, okay. So when I was in high school, it would not have been my inclination <laughs> to pick up a Rodney Yee tape. I think I was like very into a kickboxing video when I was in high school. <laughs> so like, <laughs> um, I forget the name. I, we don't need to go down that road, but anyway, what, yeah. um, what do you Tybo. Was it Tybo? Yeah, it was Tybo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, hopefully we'll have that guy on the show someday. Oh, yeah. um, but um, I guess, so what do you think it was about yoga that drew you in? Because it, it's kind of a strange thing for like a 15 or 16 year old to be into. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I've always just been kind of a seeker, someone that wants to understand more and like always wants to know more details of things and going in. And I was, you know, wrestling with my own demons as we do when we're in high school and uh, thinking, I don't know, I don't even know, um, something maybe about his like sereneness, the way he is, the way he looks drew me into it. And it's like, maybe that's the answer for me. Like, maybe this is the thing that's going to like, help calm my mind. And so I would do the tapes all the time. Um, yeah, until they wore out. And no more Rodney tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Yeah, I have no idea. That's a great question. And do you do, do you like remember noticing an effect? as a teenager, like I was so unaware at that age. That's why I ask. Like, do you remember being like, oh, this is doing something? I think so. I think initially it was annoying to me. You know how yoga is when you first start. It's like, I was very much, um, you know, having body issues at that age. And I think when you start a practice, it can rev up those things a little bit because you're so um, conscious about your unconsciousness or you're so, um, wrapped up on how it looks or how it feels. And it's not about, it's a different practice, you know, as you, as you, um, have a relationship with it. But at first it was, um, really about the body and it, it was hard. Um, I think over time, I started to feel that and that's what drew me in like knowing that it will get you somewhere or like, you know, putting the work in. I feel like I have a faint memory of that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Uh, and then the other thing uh, that you said, which I, I think is really interesting because people come to teaching from all different ways, but you sort of got in back into yoga knowing you wanted to be a teacher, which is an interesting way to get into it. So mm -hmm. from the beginning, were you um, both like, were you aware of the way a class was crafted from the beginning because you wanted to be a teacher or is that, that came in training? You're shaking your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can't hear me when I, <laughs> I have to verbalize. <laughs> Um, no, I had no idea, no clue. And for some reason, like I thought that once you become a teacher, it's like this download that comes into your brain and you're just like channeling through, you know, I had no idea the back end work that goes into and the knowledge and the time that goes into being comfortable enough to speak in front of people, you know, and I think that's a lot of it is like, whoa, being comfortable, like public speaking, while trying to hold a sequence and see people's bodies, and, you know, weave in Dharma, if that's a part of it, and go somewhere with the class and be there present with them at the same time while you're trying to hold all these pieces, like you don't know that you have no idea. Because on the receiving end, you're like, this person just like, it's coming out. Right. right. The better a teacher is, the easier it seems. Like, right. And the more simple yeah. they become, which is crazy too. Right. That whole thing when you just start teaching and you're just like spouting out every single cue. 
Yeah. Um, and it's like you're in warrior two for like five minutes. Right? <laughs> Little detail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so what is your practice like these days? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My practice like these days, I feel like it varies so much. Um, right now I've kind of caught a wave of motivation and energy and creativity that I've been writing. Um, I'll speak to that in a second, but I feel like, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were in election time, I was like, I couldn't do anything. Like I'd find myself in like a sphinx pose for like five minutes staring out into space where it's just like, you can really feel how, um, what's going on globally has an effect internally and you know what's going on outside with the weather has so much of effect um but i feel like i've kind of come out of that wave right now and kind of on an upswing maybe like that was the time of like i don't know being in a cocoon and kind of gathering that energy but the last couple of weeks have have been really um energetic And for the most part, I think what I've been experiencing in my own practice is um, what I mentioned when we were talking is that um, there's that component that's missing from not teaching public classes. There's that um, exchange of energy with students and and the teacher that's missing. Um, And so it's felt necessary to try and find that creativity and that connection in inside of myself and I think that comes through in in different ways right sometimes I'm practicing yoga sometimes I'm like dancing (laughs) sometimes it's I need to run as hard as I can and just try and you know get the energy flowing um but I think all in all, it comes back to um, what your spirit needs, right? Every morning is going to be different. Uh, the ritual you're, you need to do to find that sense of spirit of creativity. Uh, we don't know what, you know, every day is so completely, feels so different. And um, so I just, right now I wake up, I go make coffee. I come up to this triangle room and I try and figure out what the hell I can do to try and go inside, to try and connect to my spirit, to try and find that sense of creativity. I think really what, what, um, what my job, I guess, quote unquote job is, is like, I've heard so much from people that you know, with a change of jobs, everyone's job is kind of shifted. Like, you know, we're teaching yoga through through a screen now. That element of creativity is kind of missing. And so, yeah, it feels necessary to cultivate that inside. And, and I usually practice whatever I'm doing in the dark. I have this, like, need to not be connected to whatever this form is. You know, so I'll wake up, I'll turn off the lights, I'll come in here and I'll just like start to move. And sometimes it's like on the floor, like Jason said on in, in the podcast, I listened to that. Um, sometimes it's rolling around the floor. Sometimes I'm like 
listening to electronic music and I'm just like dancing my ass off. And sometimes it's just like, I can't do anything or like, I need to like, I don't know, do tarot or something, but how can I pull this outside of me? Right. How can I like pull whatever energy is inside um, and bring it to people that might feel like their sense of, of energy and, and creativity needs to be lit up a little bit more. That's interesting about uh, practicing in the dark. Was that, is that new or was that before Zoom times? <laughs> that was, this always been kind of my practice, huh. like practicing in the dark. I have no idea what it's about, but it's, I think, honestly, like, there was a while that I was taking these Ashtanga classes in San Francisco at 6 a.m. And she would have us practice in the dark. And I loved it. Like something about it took it from the form, from the body and put it into spirit. And the teacher once said we were in some kind of Navasana variation. And she was like, okay, now look up. Don't look at your body look up, look up at spirit. And I think that kind of cracked my whole world open of like, don't make it about the form, make it about the spirit. Don't look at what your body's doing. Look away so you can feel what's happening. And I think I get that with the lights off in the darkness. Like this morning I went running in the dark like it's my favorite thing. No one's around. There's no, um, there's no like chatter from the day happening in your head. You don't have to navigate through any issues. It's like this sense of freedom and space that you can have this container to move from almost like a, a deprivation tank, a sensory deprivation mm-hmm. tank. Have you ever done that? You know? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I I can totally see that. I think I and I've always like not enjoyed classes as much with um, mirrors. I know some people really. I think there is a calming way to like get very into the form. I think that can also calm the mind. But for me personally, I have the same thing. I like to like feel it from the inside and seeing it sort of uh, it's too much. Like I want to. <laughs> I can't do both at once, and I'd prefer to see it from the inside. Um. And then the, so this comes up a lot on this podcast already. And we're only on what this episode six, um, but how, how do you know what it is you need to, to, because there are so many different, you know, avenues for um, sort of finding that energy when you wake up, how do you know? Hmm. I think thinking like, being okay with thinking about it first as like the first layer um, and then kind of deciding what that thinking is telling you and maybe going into like whatever emotion is showing up from that thinking, right? Using thinking as the precursor to emotion or feeling. And sometimes you just have to start moving to know that you don't want to move. You know, like sometimes it's like, oh, that's not going to (laughs) work. I've done that with running where I'll run like for six minutes and I'm like walking home. Forget it. This is not, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like sometimes you have to like 
know what's not going to work to feel what is going to work. So I, yeah. So I know you're like busy, like we all are, you know, you have a lot going on. Um, do you, so do you like plan like this day I'm going to run and this day I'm going to do yoga and this day I'm going to do this or. or Kind of. I wake up at like four because it's like, I make that space for whatever needs to happen you know, because Everett, my son, who's going to wake up probably at 730, um, I need to know that I have that personal space. Without that, it's like, everything feels like it falls apart in a way like that personal space in the morning is everything. And so like, I make sure that whatever needs to happen, I have that space. And sometimes I'm not even practicing at all. I'm like, working on schoolwork or something, you know, but just to like, make sure that there's that space. And also, I don't know, like, I think it's important to find out what time of day your creativity comes in. You know, like, for me, it's like 4am when it's dark out, that's when that's when my spirit wants to show up, like the afternoon or like five o'clock, uh-uh, like not happening. And it's so different for everyone too. You know, I'm, I'm just a morning person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I honestly, like, it's like this ball of energy that I feel like I'm just working with and trying to feel through. So always sun salutations. I know me and you feel the same about yes. sun salutations. Like that's happening regardless. Um, I'll start out with, I don't know, warm up like cat cow just like closing my eyes and trying to direct where tension is in my body so it's almost like a detective looking for tension and I think that's kind of what guides my practice too is like where where is my body speaking to me and how can I get into that place no matter what it it looks like you know like maybe it is this like structured warrior one or warrior two or maybe it's like not even like quote-unquote yoga it's like where's the tension where can I access it and so I'll start moving through that um it's more intuitive than anything yeah do you think that intuition took you time like did that come naturally or did that take you some time to build it was definitely not natural. Like it did not come naturally. I think, you know, having structure and knowing form first, going through trainings and figuring out what works um, and doing things over and over and over and over and over, then you can kind of develop that sense of intuition and go with it, you know, at, I think at first it, it's like you need to be guided in a way. You need to learn from from someone, and then take that and make it your own. Okay, so I know this is a hard question um, because they're all like our 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 babies. But just right now, if you had to say your favorite pose right this second, what yeah. would you say? Oh. That's so easy. I feel like it's forever and always going to be Prasarita. 
<laughs> okay. I thought you might say triangle, but it's kind of triangle's just half of Presserita anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like you're halfway there. But like to be able to like have your body in a shape where you can pour energy down into your legs and just let your upper body surrender and all the creativity, like the movements that you can make with inside inside of that. I just I can't get enough. I mean, you could do it upside down. You could do it in a headstand, handstand, right side up. So, oh, yeah. It's endless. In Navasana, you could do it, like, on the ground. <laughs> you could do half of it, triangle. Yeah. yeah. I um, postpartum, for some reason, I think I probably psychologically, my body was like, we don't want to do that again. So I could not do prostrita. My legs were like, we, we are going to, I was like, eagle pose only. My body was like, let's keep yeah. everything tight. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, your sense of gravity gets so thrown off from being pregnant. It's like, you have this mass in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, however, you know, like for me, it was like 60 pounds. <laughs> like, and then to not have that anymore, it's like, Where's the equilibrium? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do press read it, I think, until I was like seven or eight months postpartum. And then finally I could do it. And I was like, oh, thank God, I've missed you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like everything. Yeah, so definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and then let's suppose that you only do if someone else is teaching you. Hmm maybe that's a great question I've I try and push myself into the things that I don't want to do like eagle pose is probably one of them same um yeah I'm like gotta do it though sometimes it's like gotta do the things you don't want to do because now it's up to us we have to do it no one's telling <laughs> us, you know um yeah eagle pose warrior three especially standing on my left leg. Like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I could, I could see those. Um, is there a pose you're like working on right now that you're hoping? Or- um, I think I'm just trying to like see what's possible right now. Um, trying to like let myself fall as much as I need to <clears throat> like I don't know do harder do harder like arm balances and I mean I feel like the one that I'm always trying to like get to is handstand you know that one is like how do people do handstand <laughs> my question is how do people reliably do handstand <laughs> How can they just like in the middle of the room? I know I'm not going to hit anyone. Just like, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I'm putting up quotes. I can do handstand. Right. Yeah. (laughs) If a wall is there, like, if a wall is there, or some days I can do it for one second, or (laughs) no, I would, yeah. Handstand is a for, and for some reason, that one, like, some challenging arm balances I find like, not fun to work on, but I always think handstands are also fun. That's true. Yeah. Because if you do have that moment where you're holding it for like a second, it's so like surprising. And so it brings so much joy too. Yeah. And like, like there's a feeling, the feeling of having 
all of your weight on your hands. Like there's something about it that's so empowering. Like, oh, I can hold my whole self. Yeah, I'm completely inverted. Like yeah. there's not anything in any other direction. It's like straight up and down mm-hmm. standing on your hands. Yeah. Uh, like, so when you were feeling uh, like having a hard time during election time, I had the same thing. Uh, how do you like get yourself to get back inspired? Like, how do you get yourself to go upstairs at 4 a.m.? Um, I think it's not even an option. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not an option. Uh, you know, like the kid is going to wake up and <laughs> this is the time that you have to like make sure that your head is on straight. There's no other option. Um, and it's just such a habit, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like, if you teach yourself to do it, if you're going to train your body to do something, you do that thing. Um, there's a book by Murakami. I don't know if you've read it. It's his memoir on running. Have you read it at all? I haven't read it. No, it's really good. It's super small. And he talks about like, he wanted to run for six miles every day. And he's like, so if I want to run six miles every day, I have to run six miles every day. Like (laughs) that is the thing I have to train my body to do. I can't train my body to run six miles every day by not doing it, by not going outside and running. (laughs) I have to like run six miles a day. And I think my mind kind of goes there. It's like, I want to do this thing. I'm committed to it. It's going to happen. You know, I think I have that kind of mindset. How do you define what the thing is? So like you head upstairs and is you just going upstairs in the dark at 4 a.m.? Is that that counts as your practice or is there like a certain, does something have to happen for you to say like, okay, I practice today. And if so, what is that thing? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think this pandemic has been really interesting for kind of dissolving those lines. Whereas before I had very hard parameters of what practice needed to be and what it needed to look like you know, like a lot of us went through training and it's like, this is the sequence you have to go through in order to get to the end. And when you get to the end, that's your practice. Mm -hmm. And this pandemic has been interesting in the way of like, making it okay for not doing that, like for being imperfect for I mean, I say that loosely imperfect because, you know, it's not imperfection. It's being more with what is. Um, Now I just kind of know when it's done. I know, um, I know more what I need now, I think, because I am teaching more of myself, of my practice. What I do here on the mat is what I'm teaching. And so, I think there's been more of an awareness in my own body that tells me when enough is enough because of it, which is like a silver lining, I guess. You know, I feel more in tune with um, my own needs in that way because I am so much teaching what I'm practicing. Mm. Yeah. If you had to say like, if someone asks you, like, 
what has, or I guess I'm asking you, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what are the things that your home practice has given you? Hmm. The things my home practice has given me. Because you're, I mean, faith. you're so committed. Okay. Space. I think that's the big one. Internal space. Um, it's given me not determination, but um, what would the word be for, for like tapas? What would it Discipline? What that word be? Discipline. That's <laughs> the one. Yes. It's given me discipline and reliance on something it's like I know everything's falling apart in some ways but I know that's there no matter what's happening whatever's crumbling it's like there's the practice there and there's um there's yourself to be met there um it's yeah it's given me so much I it's I mean honestly it saved my life for one, for maybe, for like 10. I think that was like point number 10. Um, yeah, I feel like it saved my life in so many ways. Yeah. It saved my mind. <laughs> um, and then, I, you know, there keeps being this uh, theme that's coming back for a lot of yogis I've chatted with where they have this other... Um, aerobic practice like uh J jason in episode two had cycling both of us like to run like what do you think mm -hmm. that's about <laughs> <sighs> okay you know what i was actually thinking about that recently i think it's because when you start practicing yoga there's so much to be learned and it's so much about the body right you're dealing with like oh this is uncomfortable oh this like doesn't feel quote unquote right in my body right now. Um, and so it is very body centered. And I think once the, the practice, you get more and more into a relationship with it, it becomes less about the body, right? It becomes a breathe, more of a breathing practice. After that, it becomes more of like a place for your mind to go because it's so familiar in the shape and it's so familiar with the breath and the shape. And I think it gets to a point that you're in this like space of your mind that you're not as connected to the physical form in a way. And so like that other component, like it, I don't know, it, it seems like it comes to a peak and then you need that physical component to learn from in a different way. You know, like it's the same thing with, with running too. It's like, at first it sucks. You're like, I can't breathe. This hurts. I'm so sore <laughs> and then that goes away and then it becomes a breathing practice and then it becomes a mental emotional practice you know the koshas and then it's this cycle I think that we that we as humans need to go through on different levels if that's their personality yeah that that makes sense. And I would say like, that makes sense because also then after you run a lot, you come back to your practice and the practice feels different, which wakes you up in a different way. Yeah. And because totally. you did your yoga practice, running feels different, which wakes you up in a different way. So they sort of yeah keep you awake. They need each other in a way. And yeah, it's like so many people, like there's a complementary relationship with some other physical practice. 
And I, I, I listened to you with Jason's podcast and how you're talking about how what you do on the mat is so informed by your running practice. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> so much. Whatever else you're doing is like, that's going to show up on the mat too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's something to it too, where like your, I think because a yoga practice teaches you not to identify with discomfort in the body, then when you run, because running a big part of it is just being kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> like if you could most of run, like for me running a lot of it, I'm like, I'd rather just walk after a while, <laughs> but I don't yeah. because I get used to being uncomfortable and then it feels sort of good to be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So I wonder if it's something like that where the yoga practice teaches you that being uncomfortable is okay maybe. I think so. And you know what I was thinking too, when I was running today, it's like meditation in a different way. Like when you're meditating and you're sitting, you're trying to deal with that discomfort in your body of sitting and in your mind. And it, you know, going and listening inside doesn't have to be sitting. Um, It can be being with the discomfort of running and pushing yourself like um, did you read that book by David Goggins? Can't hurt me at all. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Um, I won't go into too many details, but he's a Navy SEAL and he is an extreme athlete, like does these like hundred, 150 mile runs, like in death Valley, like very extreme. And he's all about pushing yourself pushing your, your limits inside in your mental limits to like go further inside your head. And I think on some kind of level, it's like, it's, you know, it's the opposite of sitting, but it's the same. Mm -hmm. You're pushing your limits physically, whether it's moving or sitting to, to get to this quiet place inside because your mind is so like, when you're trying to like go past a a barrier or a boundary. Definitely. That reminds me, there's something like, I think like 90, it's a very high percentage of people that finish marathons. And I think it's because it is, it's mental, right? Like it's like, um, oh, well, I signed up for this. There's literally no barrier. All the time I have is, you know, I have time to do this marathon. I've set aside time. So it is, it's just, it's in your head, whether or not you can run 26 miles. And totally. I don't want to, I don't want to talk for some reason. I'm talking a lot about giving birth today, but I will say <laughs> after I gave birth, I was like, I could run a marathon. Like yeah. if I can do oh, that, God. that was really unpleasant. I could running seems far less. unpleasant. The bar is totally different. You're like, I can do anything (laughs) you know it there's have you heard of that marathon in new york where they run around the same city block for 300 miles no yeah it's i'll have to look it up there's a documentary on it um but it's a spiritual practice it's all it's all centered around a spiritual practice and so people will take months off of work and train and then essentially you're running around the same city block for a month, the same block. Wow. Like, where does your mind go? Like, <laughs> you know, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. You know, that's the same as like 
going and like going into a cave and like sitting by yourself. It's I I feel like it's the same kind of place that you're trying to access inside. You're trying to break through these barriers physically being still or in movement to crack open whatever's inside. And I think that's the same thing with like practicing in the dark or like whatever. It's like, how can I crack? How can I like get past whatever this shell is that my body wants to create every single day? You know, it's like the process of like cracking open every day and, and with things being so challenging, it's like cracking those layers over and over how can we crack them yeah um yeah that's that's so much <laughs> to think about that documentary I know. <laughs> I, you'll love it it's totally something you'd love I will and I will put it in the show notes as well so oh, okay <laughs> sweet show notes show notes like a real podcaster um, well, Valerie, this has been so great. Thank you so much for chatting. Um, and um, I know people are going to want to take your class after this. So where can we find you? Um, I am teaching through Love Hive right now. There's an online really awesome um, website that has live classes and also recorded classes on there. Um, so there's that. And then I'm also teaching a Zoom class on Sundays at 9.30. And <clears throat> you can find that on my website, Valerie Star Yoga, and then social media, you know. Yeah, we'll put all those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Valerie. Aww, thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> that was Valerie Star. Isn't she just the best? Um, I'm sure you're already interested in checking out our classes, and I really recommend you do. Uh, like she said, she's at Valerie Star Yoga, and those will be in our show notes. Also, side note, if you are interested in seeing beautiful pictures of the nature in Portland, Oregon, highly recommend following her on Instagram. She posts these like beautiful pictures um, of her hikes and her runs. So moving on, we'll end today with actually a sutra that I've been thinking about a lot as I interview, as I've interviewed the last five people. It relates really to all of them. Uh, and the sutra is 114. And that's about the sort of quality of the yoga practice and how it should be. And it said that practice, it says that practice that is done for a long time without break and with sincere devotion becomes a firmly rooted, stable and solid foundation. Um, and I think, you know, this has come up with every um, yoga practitioner that I've spoken to, um, where they all say that it's not even an option for them anymore to do their practice, that because they worked so hard to sort of develop this habit, that at this point, it, there's a sense of ease that they just, you know, like Valerie said in this interview, like, I just know it's going to happen. There's no option that it won't. Uh, or Jason saying that, you know, him waking up and sitting on his meditation cushion is not even a, um, it's not even something to check off the to-do list, right? It's just something that will happen. Um, and, you know, even Imbal in episode three or in episode four talking about how, you know, that she always wakes up and always has a practice, but that the practice has changed. Uh, because I do think in a way there's even a dichotomy in this sutra where, um, sure, we have to practice for a long time and without break. But in order to do that, in order to do that and have sincere devotion, you know, 
as humans, I think we just need to be flexible where sometimes the practice that serves us will be uh, sitting quietly and sometimes the practice will be moving or like Valerie was saying, like her practice is dancing in her room or an episode uh, four when Imbal was saying, you know, at one point her practice was um, being a mother, right? That, that all of these practices are that in order to uh, for a practice to be done for a long time and without break and with a sincere devotion, there has to be a sense of flexibility in order to find that ease. And eventually, right, as we commit over and over to the practice, the practice will become firmly rooted and stable and solid, right? And I think there was a really good example of that in episode two with Jason. Um, and that's sort of what to look forward to, right? So especially if your practice is sort of flailing or if you're trying to build a practice, just know, you know, have confidence that someday it'll be easy, right? Someday it won't even be something you check off the list. It'll just be something you do and get done. Um, I'm definitely working in that direction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, thank you so much for listening again. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe. All of those things really help people to find the show. Um, and uh, also, if you're interested in checking out our show notes, of course, the website is homebodiesyoga.com. And don't worry, that's just traffic outside my house. <laughs> okay, well, have a nice, have a nice practice. Talk to you next week. Bye.